This morning, I want to take you on a journey with me to the valley. And I want to ask for the Lord to give you ears to hear. For those of you that are joining us, the message today is Changed in the Valley. What's the title? Changed in the Valley. One day we are going to be on God's mountain. But we've got to be changed in the valley. So today we're going to ask for the Lord to lead and guide our hearts that we could hear what the Spirit says. And pray for me as I ask for God to lead and guide and be the one through which these words are delivered to you. Loving Father, the good news is we are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. And Father, today we are still in the valley getting ready for the mountaintop. Guide us today. Speak to our minds. Speak to our lives. That this new year will not be a year that comes and passes in vain. But the changes that you make in us will be so marked and so different that we will be that much closer to your ideal for your children to dwell in your kingdom. Now take this message and mold it to the hearts and lives of those who are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, the devil has found a way to make dangerous things appealing. I am getting wiser as I get older. Things that I did when I was young, I don't do anymore. Dangerous things. Roller coasters and sitting in somebody's, what they call a ride and being slingshotted into the air. I don't do those things anymore. I look back on and wonder, how did I do it anyway? Why would I put my life at a place where the devil could just cut the cord and there go I? I don't do those things anymore. Anybody else? Well, you you got to get older to get wiser. You, know, you go to those amusement parks and you see crazy children thinking that nothing will ever happen. And we are mindful of all these crazy things that have happened, rides getting stuck in midair, wheels coming off, and these things that have centrifugally spun people into oblivion just fails and they exit the park via satellite or whatever. I don't do that anymore. I was looking recently at some of the crazy things that people do, like bungee jumping and, and uh, free-falling, and we have thrill-seekers that are pushing life to the limit, living dangerously, forgetting that life is precious and valuable and you only get one. I was looking recently at a, an exercise that this Canadian company called Team Building. And here is a picture. They stood on the Canadian Tower, one of the tallest buildings in this particular city in Canada. And they tied a cord around each of them and they leaned back and they said, if you want to be a part of the team, let's do this together. I want to tell you, that's a team I would not be a part of <laughs> on no given day. 
And then here in Chicago, uh, at the, uh, they have a new thing where they transformed one of the floors in the building. They call it the leaning windows where you can stand straight up and then all of a sudden it just leans itself forward so you can get the feeling what it's like to be a thousand feet above the sidewalk. That's a feeling I don't need. <laughs> but people live dangerously. And then you see these pictures of young people climbing, breaking past security, climbing these phone towers and these, these, uh, these, uh, you know, yeah, stuff like that, just to put a selfie on the internet. And um, some of them will actually make you sick just looking at the picture. You get that gut feeling of, of, of just why are they doing that? And I'm mindful of this Chinese risk taker by the name of Wei Yonganen. He posted so many of these, you know, climbing buildings and standing on the edge and looking down and taking photos. And um, I read the newspaper article. This is one of the last pictures he took before he fell to his death. Living dangerously. Living dangerously. Being applauded by his friends that he could do what other people can. And they have people that walk on the edges of bridges and try to, you know, climb the cable on the bridge and just take a picture at the top. And I'm asking myself, life itself is dangerous enough. Why do foolishness? Which reminds me of the phrase in Ecclesiastes of chapter 7, verse 17. Do not be overly wicked, nor be what? Foolish. Why should you die before your time? As I get older and I look at all these things that are coming, you see that on the internet and see that on, sometimes people send you a video and you see the crazy things people do and you ask yourself, what is there about the possibility of death that becomes so appealing? What is it about almost dying that seems exciting? People take cars to the point where the engine is about to blow and they, they, they applaud making it past 240 miles an hour and cyclists just you hear them in the big cities and they just they want to hit that 100 mile an hour mark and live to tell about it but not everybody is that fortunate as I get older I'm realizing that I've only got one life to live the world is dangerous enough I want to preserve all the days that I have before me anybody else not going to put that. Somebody invited me down and um, we were in Zimbabwe with Maranatha. And one of the gentlemen said, I'll pay for you to do bungee jumping off of the um, Victoria Bridge, which the Victoria Falls is on one side and then they have this river down below like 800 feet down. And he said, I'll pay. I ain't going. I don't care who pays. I'm not doing it. Well, he did it, and later that evening he talked about how he regretted doing it because it was so far up. You, you free fall about 600 feet before the bungee kicks in, and it yanks you, like gives you a, a, a chiropractic adjustment you'll never forget. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who wants to do that? Do you need to write about that? Do you need to go home in a body bag just to say you had a whole lot of fun? Life is dangerous enough. The world is dangerous enough. 
The devil wants to make danger seem appealing. And what's even more insidious than these crazy things that people do is people look at this great offer of salvation and they make a dangerous decision to cancel it, postpone it, or put it off indefinitely as though they have a better answer than getting ready for eternal life. i got to make a statement right now that is going to carry through my entire message. I want to live as long as I can and be as healthy as I can and have everything working. If nothing's working, I don't want to be the one to blame for why it's not working. I want to have all my brain functions. I want to keep all those blood cells. That's why when I was a young man, I, didn't, I chose not to take drugs and do all these crazy things because I saw what it did to my friends. And I said, if I make it to that age, I want to have all my brain cells working at optimum condition. And some of you did some crazy stuff. That's why the grace of God have allowed some of you to recover. But what is it about the possibility of death that seems so appealing? Today, come with me to Death Valley. Death Valley, the lowest point in the United States. To get there, you must travel on Death Valley Highway. And what you hear as I unfold the story, because so much about Death Valley is true about life in general. It is one of the driest places on earth. When I was growing up, we stand in front of a lake or in front of the ocean when the water was smooth and we would skip stones on the water. But Death Valley is so dry, there's a place called Sailing Stones where they, where they try to skip stones on the sand. One of the driest places on earth. Death Valley is a paradox to many because it is the lowest point in the United States. And some people say probably one of the lowest points in the world where you go to a place called Bad Water Basin, which is 282 feet below sea level. That's more than 20 stories below sea level. Yet people want to go there. The ir irony of that is not too far away. One of the highest points in the contiguous United States is Mount Whitney at more than 14,000 feet, just 84 miles away. What a contrast. The lowest and the highest, which says to me, the lowest or the highest point of your spiritual journey depends on the direction you take. Not too far away. But you know, as you study Death Valley, which I kind of tumbled into and I got fascinated by reading about it, it is rare to get to Death Valley by accident. You've got to choose to go there. You don't just get to Death Valley by accident. The sign says, when you see a sign says, um, what does it say here? When you see a sign that says Furnace Creek, you know you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Why would anybody want to go to Furnace Creek? And then beyond Furnace Creek is Death Valley. How obvious can the sign be? Your life is going down and you are on your way to death. Yet there are people every day that are on their way down. Somehow these signs telling you that there is an impending danger ahead of you. It's going to get hotter. It's going to get more dangerous. I've never been in Death Valley. I've not been drawn to go there. I may lose my brain one day and go there. But I don't have any real deep desire to get lost and be found just a skeleton of what I used to be. 
People are so enamored by Death Valley that um, there's a list of things that you can do in Death Valley. As strange as it is, you know, it's, it's very attracting to people because about one to two million visitors go to Death Valley a year. And so they put together a list of things that you can do when you go to Death Valley. For example, there's a place called Dante's View. They said it's one of the most complete views of Death Valley. In other words, before you get into the valley itself, it's showing you what you're going to be in. Dry salt beds, no water. So far down that there are no cell phone service satellite sites anywhere. <laughs> I don't know the meaning behind that amen or that praise God, but I'll just let Bob have that one. <laughs> then there's something called Zabrinsky's Point. They said this is one of the greatest places to see the sunset in Death Valley. How ironic the spiritual comparison. Some people, the sun sets on them in Death Valley. They never make it out. They never make it up to God's ideal. They see the sun going down on them in Death Valley. And then there's another one called Golden Canyon or Gower Gulch. People are enamored by this because when the sun hits, it looks golden. But it's a 4.4 mile one-way walk, which means that's 8.8 .8 miles if you plan on doing that in the same day. Some people survive it. Others don't. I want to tell you today, I don't have any desire to walk 8.8 .8 miles in searing heat. But people do it. And then there is, how obvious can you get? The Devil's Golf Course. Furnace Creek, Death Valley, the Devil's Golf Course. You know by now you are not supposed to be there. But if you look at the spiritual comparisons, every day people are on their way to something that has to do with death. The furnaces of life, the death valleys, the lowering of the standards of life. And they find pleasure playing on the devil's golf course. As I studied this, I ran into something that was pretty interesting I want to share with you right now. You know, the interesting thing I've learned about reading about Death Valley is how did it get its name? How did Death Valley get its name? I think it was last Sabbath I did the sermon entitled The Quest. It talked about the gold rush of 1849. And what I learned is during the gold rush, there was a, it was a rush where people came from all over the nation, some cases all over the world, to, to find the gold in the valleys of California. And there was a, an expedition of wagoneers, wagon trains. They were seeking to cross Death Valley on the way to what they called the gold fields. But after 13 of them perished, those who chose not to follow their path said, don't go there, that's Death Valley. That's how it got its name. 13 pioneers perished from an expedition of wagon trains. And that's how Death Valley got its name. In spite of that, upwards of 2 million people go to Death Valley every year. But I read another story that really caught my attention. On May 30th, 2022, just this past year, a Death Valley park ranger had cited a man for driving off-road. Now, you would think at a place like that where there are no signs, nothing really to run into, that it would be fine to drive off the road and just, you know, take your pickup truck and do donuts and just 
flat out just go as fast as you can. But it is so dangerous, he ignored the signs which says, stay on designated roads. And people tend to ignore signs such as caution, extreme, heat, danger. On the morning of June 8th, the park ranger noticed that there was only one vehicle in Zabrinsky's Point parking lot. This is Zabrinsky's Point parking lot, that Golden Valley we saw a moment ago. This is the parking lot where people park just before they decide to take that 4.4-mile one-way hike. Not me. But he noticed that there was a car there. He came back, the same park ranger, on the evening of June 11th, and he noticed the same vehicle was in that parking lot. But he also said, well, why would this vehicle still be here th three days later? And in the last four days, the temperatures reached 123 degrees and above. They ran the license plates and found that the vehicle was registered to a man by the name of David Kelleher of Huntington Beach, California. They began to initiate an investigation, and they learned that he had not been reported as missing. Part of the reason, Bob, is there was no cell phone service. You still said amen? They ran the database, and they found out that this was the same man that was cited, that received a citation for riding off-road on May 30th. He had been in that valley for some time. They looked inside the car and they found a crumpled note which read, out of gas, out of gas. On June 14th of the past year, David Kelleher's body was found. Out of gas, cannot make a phone call, not enough supplies to survive. He walked two and a half miles, trying his best to get to Highway 190. They found him 30 feet short of Highway 190. The park ranger said if he had only made that 30-foot walk completed, they may have found him because people travel that highway. So they asked the question, how could he not see the highway practically 30 feet away, like from closer than from here to there? For whatever reason, the path he took, there was a bluff that came up that blocked his, obscured his view, and maybe the disorientation of two and a half miles in searing heat had taken his toll, and they found his body there just 30 feet short of California Highway 190, the road to Death Valley. East is Death Valley, west is life. He was not the only one. They also found a man on June 1, 2022, by the name of John McQuarrie of Long Beach, California. They found him deceased in Death Valley. And then on May 23, 2022, they found another man by the name of Peter Horian, whose vehicle was found abandoned. They said he was never found. What is it about death and the possibility of it that seems so appealing? Death Valley is an appropriate term for our world today. Solomon the wise man said in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right 
to a man, but its end is what? The way of death. Every day, people are traveling on the highway to Death Valley. But they may not know it because they're just in the store or they're in the shopping mall. Or they may be just at home in their living room. They may be visiting with family, but spiritually they're on the road to Death Valley, anticipating the pleasures that await them in this place that they desire above life, and it brings excitement to them. They anticipate. And in some cases, as I read the stories, there are many people that plan their trips months ahead of time, and one person said, I can't wait to get to Death Valley. And I thought about that, Ian, and I said, let's think about that for a moment. Can't wait. And I thought the spiritual comparison is there are people today that can't wait to get to Death Valley, the Las Vegases, the New York Cities, the Chicago's, and the list goes on and on and on, the major cities where pleasure seems to be the only focus of the moment, not knowing that spiritually they are on their way to Death Valley. But you know, long before Death Valley in California was discovered, there was a Death Valley that the Bible talks about. A Death Valley that was far greater in its impact than Death Valley there in Southern California. We find this Death Valley introduced to us in the book of Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37 and look at another Death Valley. We read the words of the prophet. My wife and I are together in Ezekiel, loving it, loving it. God is a great God. The book of Ezekiel would really, you read Jeremiah, you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel one after the other, man, it just gives you a realization that God is serious about righteousness. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, as the prophet stands and God takes him to a place he's never been before, the hand of the Lord, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. That's a fitting description of our world today. If you've ever gone to a city like New York City and you drive on uh, the Interborough Parkway, where to the left and to the right you just see thousands of thousands of headstones and cemetery stones and tombs, and you think, a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel stands amidst a valley of scattered bones, like casualties of war, bodies were left where they fell. And as far as Ezekiel could see, skeletons are no longer in the closet. These bones had been there for a while, for the Bible says they were very dry. You see, he is shown by God there were arms, but they could not embrace. There were hands, but they were unable to touch. There were fingers, but they could not give direction. Intellect was no longer a factor. Opinions were finally laid aside, a valley of dry bones. How we dressed, what we ate, was no longer an issue because the bones, the bones were very dry. 
the rich and the poor finally received the same attention. There were no signs of life's achievements, no disputes about race or status, no more political disagreements. Opposing parties finally merged together in the valley of dry bones. There were no more attitudes, no more arguments. There were neither smiles nor frowns, no separation, no disharmony, no contending, no controversy. Everyone was finally able to agree on the same thing. We are all dead in the valley of dry bones. The congregation was finally, Jason, in one accord, in one place. They had no desire to stray. In fact, they had no desire at all. All that was left was a valley of dry bones. Ezekiel is caught off guard by what God just showed him because he had never seen anything like that before. And when you begin to study the background and the, in the, in the cadence of Ezekiel, it is building one story after the other, after the other, after the other. And the main theme of the book of Ezekiel is God wants his people to be faithful, and they don't want to be faithful. And you find one example after the other where God is being held accountable by his people. God is saying, my way is fair. They're saying to God, your way is not fair. God is saying, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. And they are saying, but we want to have pleasure. God is saying, I've given you a watchman to keep you from dying. And they say, we don't care what the watchman says. And this is a cadence leading up to all the times that God reached out to the Israelites. And then he says, and here's the result of your recalcitrance, your determination to ignore everything that I've called you to do. Your end result is you are now a casualty in the valley of dry bones. The valley is reminiscent of those who are unable to explain what they believed in the Bible. They once were members of the church, but they've left. And you can always tell they're on their way. They don't carry a Bible. They have no spiritual muscle tone. They're just bones. They are seeking to find a way that make Christianity easier. They used to be excited about the things of God, but now they are unmoved by the preaching of the word. They have legs. They can't move. Their bones are locked. They are spiritually in a valley. These are those that at one time could not wait for the Bible to be studied, but now they have rejected all the occasions to study, and they are now unable to go because they are now in the condition of just dry bones. These are those reduced to the remnants of the power that they once represented, but God, and I want to talk about the condition, but I want to talk about the mercy of God. What's beautiful about this story is that God sees us as we are, but God also sees us as we can be. This would be a horrible story if it was a final analysis, but it in fact is a picture of the direction that we can go without God, but as in the case of Death Valley, you may be 282 feet below a spiritual sea level, but there's no level too low that God can't reach down and bring you back up. So God says to Ezekiel, and I'm going to use, I'm going to kind of make it contemporary. He says, Ezekiel, isn't this terrible? 
And I can imagine Ezekiel saying, so what do you want me to do? So God gives Ezekiel the instruction. And here's the question that is asked. And he said to me, God asking Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And I like the way that Ezekiel answered. He did it like any pastor would. So I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> can I take you behind my curtain for a moment? You know, after being here for as long as I have, sometimes I say to the Lord, Lord, you only you know what's going to happen. Only you know if our church is going to get stronger next year. Only you know whether or not more of our members are going to become excited about your soon return and get active in, in, in how does Ellen White say it? in hastening the coming of the Lord. Lord, only you know how many people really this year are going to get excited when they hear the phrase Bible studies. And I need to be there. Or this might just be another year where they're content to be nothing but just a shell of the power that they once desired. Ezekiel, do you think they could live? Lord, you're the only one that knows that. Why are you asking me? Only God knows the outcome of the issues of life. Only God knows who will change for the worse and who will change for the better. So why does God even need Ezekiel? God called Ezekiel to do something that's irrational. Let me make a statement here that some of you may not understand as pastors. You know, God calls us to do irrational things. What do I mean by that? Irrational means God says, just keep preaching it, just keep preaching it. Let me give you an example. Noah, just keep building it. It doesn't make sense. Just keep building it. Just keep preaching. I know they're going to think that you've lost your mind. Just keep building and just keep preaching because somewhere along the way, your labor will not be in vain. So God said to Ezekiel, do this for me. Verse 4. Ezekiel chapter 37. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones. I'm not going to disrespect you, but sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to bones. And I'm not saying that because that's my opinion. I'm saying that's God's picture of his people. Sometimes we get to the place where we have settled into the valley of our routine, to the valley of our likes and dislikes, to the valley of where I finally got things the way I wanted to be. And please don't upset my apple cart. This is my valley. These are my bones. Leave my bones alone. But God calls preachers to sometimes cower behind the responsibilities that he gives us. He says, you do your part so that I could do my part. I'm going to give you the flour and all the ingredients. You make bread and you serve it. If they eat it, they'll get stronger. If they don't, then it's a choice that they have made. So God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, what is God going to say to Ezekiel? Hear the word of the Lord. When the word of God, you've heard me beating this drum for a long time, but I'm going to do it again because we're in 2023. Don't want to date the message. 
because the Word of God is relevant regardless of the year. But if the Word of God has not become, if the Word of God has not yet become an active part of your growth, you are going to die in a valley of dry bones. If you have not found a prayerful and determined way to fight against your natural determination, your natural tendencies, if you have not found a way to mortify your human inclinations and say, I need God's word, then you will find yourself in the end analogy 282 feet below God's ideal when like Mount Whitney, God is saying, why would you not want that instead? Is there any hope of bringing these bones back to life? If there is any hope, Ezekiel, I want you to preach the word. I've been learning lately. Um, I love prophecy. I mean, I love prophecy. I could, I just finished my Sabbath school lesson, Jill. I've done, done them all, got them, knocked them out in two days. Praise God. And, you know, we're doing our Sabbath school taping. I'm kind of revealing a lot of stuff that's not necessary. But we got together and taped Sabbath school four days in a row, and it's about the three angels' messages, and I'm so excited about the next Sabbath school lesson, which is April to June. I'm excited about it. And I love prophecy, but I've, I've learned, I'm learning something. Prophecy is beautiful. It keeps you within the timeline of all the events leading up to the coming of the Lord, and I'm excited that the events of the world are telling me in no uncertain ways, sorry, in every certain way that Jesus is soon to return. That's what's beautiful about prophecy. But when you know that the Lord is coming and you're not preparing for the coming of the Lord, that's scary. I mean, that's, that's like you know the trip, the, the plane is leaving, but you're not on your way to the airport. You're not making any preparations for the last flight out. And so God says to Ezekiel, don't preach philosophy, don't preach opinions, don't modify it, dilute it, preach the word as I give it to you. And when you read the book of Ezekiel, Jill and Greg, you know what I'm talking about. And those of you that have read these prophets, you know that these are not books that people that want to meander in the maze of mediocrity read. You don't read Ezekiel and stay the same. You can't step into Jeremiah and not know that God is a God who settles for nothing but the best his children can become. And he makes every provision for us to be much stronger, much more spiritual, much more heavenly minded, much more determined to do right. So you might like the book of John, which is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's the most beautiful picture of God's love. And the Bible doesn't contradict itself at all. But Jeremiah... Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, they continue to go on. God was struggling with the people that had for so long known so much that he was trying to get them calibrated so they could get the rest of the world excited about the coming of the Lord. And he said, how long has it been, Ezekiel, and my people are just becoming... Everything that I want, I don't want them to be. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the word. Don't preach philosophy. We could get distracted. Why is the preaching of the word so vitally important? We can get distracted. Let me share with you today the, the depth of the value of this book. 
it is not always going to be accessible to us. How do I know that? Listen to Amos the prophet. Amos 8 verse 11, Behold, the days are what? Coming, says the Lord. Now watch this. God is going to orchestrate this. He's going to send a famine to those who chose not to eat his bread. Listen to what he says. That I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of what? Hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the what? The word of the Lord, but what? Shall not find it. Now, either that scripture is true or it's just an attempt to make us nervous. I tend to think it's true. And the world has, has said to us, but isn't this more interesting than studying God's word? Isn't that much more exciting than studying God's word? Isn't that more entertaining than studying God's word? I mean, really, doesn't this keep your attention better than studying God's word? And little does a person know is the day is coming when God's word is not going to be on the menu. And you're going to get hungry, but you're not going to be able to eat. You're going to get thirsty, but you're not going to be able to drink the living water. God is saying, if ever there was a time to get into this book, to digest it, to imbibe it, to masticate it, to swallow it, and to, to make it a part of your mind, your life, look at the prophets. Look at the reformers. Look at these men like Calvin and Zwingli and Huss and Jerome and Wycliffe. These men stood up against the monolith of the Church of the Dark Ages, Rome. They stood on that platform unmoved because the Word of God was so deeply embedded in them that this massive monument called the Powers of Rome couldn't get Martin Luther to give up one iota because he said, I stand on the thus saith the Lord, and here shall I stand. But there's a miracle in preaching the word, but there's an even greater miracle in receiving the word. God said to Ezekiel, you do what you do, and I'll do what I promise to do. And here it is. Look at it again. Here it is. I want you to stay, I want you to stay awake and focus. Here it is. Don't fall asleep in the valley. Here it is. What did God say to Ezekiel to do? 30, 37 and verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones. What did he say? Surely, what was God telling Ezekiel that he was about to do for those who receive his word? Surely I will cause what, friends? Breath to enter into you and what? And you shall live. This is an amazing parallel because it's going back to the very same word that's used there in the book of Genesis, ruach that Hebrew word that describes the creation of man. How does that happen? Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the what, friends? Heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, we've read that passage countless times, but notice the components of it. Without God's touch, our lives are without form. No spiritual dimension. 
without God's touch, our lives are void, empty of spiritual things, but filled with everything else but God. And in this generation, this generation where we are bombarded by things from the right and left and center, we've got to, we've got to make a concerted effort not to allow the things of the world to take the place of the things of God. Without form, void, without divine intervention, people are filled with darkness just as the world was until the Spirit of God and the Word of God took effect on this planet. If God can take a barren, empty, void planet and create it by His Word, what can He do for our lives if we let His Word in? He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Everything that God accomplished in creation was accomplished because creation responded to the Word of God. If an inanimate round ball of quagmire could respond to the voice of the life giver and such beauty can come out of it, what could happen if the people of God respond to the voice of the life giver by studying His Word? I want to tell you something. It'll make your marriage stronger. If you and your wife and your husband study together, come on, somebody, say amen. amen. Yeah, my wife and I do that. We, we don't just study our Bible. We discuss it afterwards. Sometimes we argue about it afterwards. Fun arguments, not, not, not arguments for the sake of arguments, but like, so how does that work? How, how? Just digesting it, enjoying it. God's Word is enjoyable. You can only say that if you study. God's Word tastes good. Amen. And every time we get together, you know, we kind of clear our page. We get all of our highlighters out. Got my five colors, my two separate pens. Got my expired credit card that I use as my ruler. <laughs> you got to be intentional about this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to make Bible study an event. And all of a sudden, it gets to be the thing you look forward to. You know, didn't brush your teeth yet. Read your Bible. Husband and wife could survive in moments like that. Because you're reading your Bible together. And then we sit down and talk about it. Then we pray and ask God. Nothing is as beautiful as beginning your day in God's Word and then going out knowing that God's Word is in you and you've got the bread and the water and the energy and the power and the spiritual nourishment that will make a difference in the rest of your day. Amen? Amen? Amen. But if you don't do it, how can your life survive in a world that's nothing but a valley of dry bones? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Lord promises that what he did to the world, he can do for us. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Without the life-giving spirit, religion is nothing but a show. And today... One of the reasons why churches keep the attention of people is because they know we live in a show-driven environment. We live in a pumped-up environment. You know, you walk in, it's excited. I have no problem with being excited about religion. God gives us more than enough reasons to be excited about Him. Amen, somebody. But if all you have is a form of godliness but denying the power, then that's all you have. You have the exterior. You don't have all the things that God wants to do to change your life. 
That's why many churches today opt for entertainment over the word. But there's a Caribbean saying that came to my mind, honey. Empty barrels make the most noise. You Americans, let me help you understand. See, West Indians or Caribbean people, some of them have family members that live where you can't get certain things and, or may be very expensive. So what Caribbean people do is they buy a barrel. A lot of people in New York do this. They buy these big, hard barrels. They're made of, yeah, barrels. And they fill it with all kinds of stuff, anything their family members need. And they send the barrel, either by truck or by boat or by plane, for their family members. And when the barrel is empty and it falls, it makes a lot of noise. So there's a saying in the Caribbean culture that when your religion is empty, it makes a whole lot of noise. But when it's full, it's steady, it doesn't rely on emotion because it's full. It doesn't need stimulus because it has substance on the inside. But this world, this generation, through all forms of media, are, are trying to say to us, if it's not stimulating, it's not really valuable. That's a lie. You don't need stimuli, but I'm going to say this on the other side of that. When you start studying God's Word, boy, you get some serious stimuli. The right kind. The substantive kind. The kind that holds you, that pulls you together, that gives you the reason to stand up and say, you know what, today I need to do right. I need to live right. I need to be nice. I need to be kind. I need to be honest about my commitment to the Lord. I did get baptized. When am I going to start returning an honest tithe? If the Bible is not agitating you, these things will never come to your mind. But the world is saying those things are irrelevant. Just get excited. And so instead of saying spiritual growth, we have the phrase spiritual experience. Uh, you have experience God instead of worship God. Experience music instead of worship God in spirit and in truth. The world we live in today is an empty barrel that has a lot of noise in it. But there are five things that, yea, six things that God wants to do in us. And so I'm saying in 2023, these are the six things that God can do to change your spiritual walk with him. Because some people go from year to year. <laughs> I see it. Some people go from year to year. They say Happy New Year, but nothing changes. And it just becomes another 365-day period of self-centered, what do I want in life? Instead of what God wants in life. But God promises if we allow his word to come in, here is what he's going to do. Look at it. Ezekiel 37, verse 6. I will put, what's the first thing, friends? Sinew. That's spiritual muscle. And bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin. That's the new birth experience. And put breath in you. That's empower you through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do we need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives? Oh, yes. But let me say this again. There is no shortcut. There is no 
alternate route. It's only through the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. When he comes back, he'll be called the Word of God. There is no shortcut. It is only through this book, this book that is so valuable, yet sometimes it's seen as a hindrance to who I want to be. But he says, if you let that Word come in, I'll put sin on you, bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, the new birth, put breath in you to empower you, and you shall live. Abundant living. Not humdrum living. The Christian life is not a humdrum life. It's an abundant life. But why does Revelation picture a church as it does called Laodicea? It's because the world that, Laod the, world that the last church exists in is supercharged to get you to think of anything other than what God wants you to be. And you might think that since we're living out here in the country, we don't have that much of a big deal. Oh, yes, we do. We, not, we, we may not be in the city, but the city is in us. Right? You can't run from the impact of the world. But you can block the impact of the world by getting into God's Word. And then a phrase that is repeated 37 times in the book of Ezekiel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I looked that up, honey. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Just do a word search. Don't do it right now. Then you shall know. All throughout the book of Ezekiel, the number one desire that God had was for Israel to know that he is the Lord. Then you shall, if you, if you do all the things I've called you to do, this is not salvation by work. This is, you are already in a relationship with me, but I want you to grow. I want you to become stronger. If you, if you follow my prescription, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, what does that mean? He didn't say that I am God. He said, Lord. You know why, Lord? Because Lord is in charge. You ever had a landlord? God wants to be in charge of our lives. But the question is, do you want God to be in charge of your life? Yes. Yes. But there are certain changes that will not take place until we allow God to change us where? In the valley. Not going to make it to the mountain until we change in the valley. So God says to Ezekiel, you do this and I will do that. So what does Ezekiel do? So what does Ezekiel tend to do? Chapter 37, verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. What a day that would be when we are just bone to bone. Come on, say amen. God sees us as bone to bone. What happened? Ezekiel was not talking about audible Christianity. Ezekiel was talking about active Christianity. He heard a sound, but it was not the sound of noise. It was a sound of activity. That sound of activity was what? What happened? While Ezekiel was preaching, he was interrupted by an unexplainable sound, and he kept on preaching. What did he hear? Here's what I believe he heard. Broken lives, were be broken lives that were torn apart were being put back together. Amen. Folks that were dead in sin are now new in Christ. 
Hope was resurrected and despair was being buried. Mouths were prayerfully singing instead of needlessly prying. Arms were hugging instead of hurting. Feet were carrying the gospel instead of the gossip. Hearts filled with love for Jesus, not lust for the world. Divided body of believers were becoming one in Christ. That's what Ezekiel was witnessing. He was watching this exchange happen right before his eyes. The church began to change. The form of godliness was disappearing. And something that started transpiring before him really puzzled him because he kept looking and there was still something missing. There was still something missing. What was missing, Ezekiel, tell us. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I looked. As I looked, the sinew and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over. But what? There was no breath in them. There was no what? No breath. Why do we need breath? Let's ask the prophet Zechariah. Everything we do, friends, is not by might nor by power, but by what? God's Spirit. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Looking righteous does not mean that the Holy Spirit is on the inside, but when the Holy Spirit is on the inside, there will be righteousness on the outside. He is saying, he is saying to the church, the greatest need that we have is for prayer for the Spirit of God to come into our lives. Donald and Janelle, I want to challenge you in this week of 10 days of prayer. And I'm going to challenge you too. Don't just pray for stuff. Yeah, pray for your family members to be healed and for them to come to Christ. But the church's greatest need is the infilling of the Spirit of God. Seven times in the book of Revelation, when God talked about this, when God spoke to the seven churches, he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Spirit of God, the seven spirits of God going throughout the earth looking to fill the church with a power that it doesn't have today. Why does the church need that power? Without the Spirit of God, we can be a people of activity, but a people of let me find the right word here. Activity that falls short of reflecting the glory of God. Because Ezekiel says until the Spirit of God came into them, something was missing. What happened when the Spirit of God came into their lives? Look at verse 10. What happened when the Spirit of God came into their lives. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And what happened? And breath came into them. And they lived. And they stood upon what? Their feet. An exceedingly great army. Okay. I got a minute and then I'm going to close. <clears throat> and the dragon is wroth with the woman. And went to make war with the remnant of her seed. How can you war? How can you win? How can you stand against the enemy if you are not an exceedingly great army? Not an army. How can the church survive the onslaught of the enemy if we stop short 
of allowing God to remake us, to reform us, to refill us, to, re, to remold us, and then we fall short of being this exceedingly great army. What happened when the Spirit of God came in? Not only did he, not only did he put them back together, but they became an exceedingly great army. My question to you is this. In 2023, do you want to be a soldier in an exceedingly great army? Yes. Of course, the devil is not afraid of weak armies. Read the battle of Ai. Israel thought that the strength was in them, and they ignored the necessity of having God in their midst, and they lost to a little tiny army. If we try to go out into this war against darkness, this war against godliness, this war that not against darkness but against light, this war against holiness. If we go out into this war without the armor of God on, we are no match for the enemy, and we will not be an exceedingly great army. We will be defeated over and over and over again. We will not be able to stand on our own feet. My prayer for you for 2023 is that you stand on God's feet with your feet. You stand up. You stand up for God. What happened when they stood up? What happened when they stood up? Look at verse 14. God said, I will put my, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. Do you want life for 2023? No, do you want abundant life? Do you want a better spiritual walk? Do you want to get to the place where your spiritual life is not, do I have to go to church? Well, your spiritual life is, I really don't want to go to Bible study. Because I know that's been a struggle for so many of you. Ah, uh, I'll get it the next time around. When God's Spirit comes in, He says, you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. The land is ahead of us. Right now, he wants to change us in the valley before we get to the mountain. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. And what else, friends? Performed it, says the Lord. So what is the plan for 2023? Let me challenge you with these final things. For 2023, God is calling Thompsonville to rebirth and reformation. Does anybody want to be born again? Not rebaptized. But put a new life in your, in your study life. Put a new spark in your dedication to serving God. Get the dust off of your spiritual garments and become a person that kneels before the Lord and say, Father, if I'm going to be in your kingdom eternally, I want to be everything that you desire for me to be. Put me aside and allow your spirit to come in and transform and reform and give me a rebirth that at the end of 2023, if you are so kind to bring me to that date, I will look back and say, 2023 was a good year. For 2023, God is calling us to allow the spirit of God to enter our lives. He's calling us to go beyond our beliefs of just being joined as a church to be united in Christ. He's calling us that no doctrines to say, Father, I know right teachings, 
but I want to experience right living. I want to know that if my record closes, that everything between me and God is right. Don't want to live those days wondering whether or not this is going to be the week that my record closes and I need more time to get right with God. Every day is an opportunity to get right with God. Every day is a privilege in the moment to say, Father, between you and me, I want this valley experience to be the time that I am changed. Because before we get to God's holy mountain, we must be changed in the valley. Is there anybody today that wants to do what only the Spirit of God can cause you to do, to stand up on your feet and say, I want that to be my experience for 2023. I want that power in my life, that change in my life, the new skin, the new sin, or the new birth. I want all those things to be in me the way that God sees they can be, that I could be changed in the valley. Because one day we're going to get to the mountain. But before we get to the mountain, God wants to change us in the valley. Why is this picture so amazing to me? Because you know, the Death Valley, nothing about it's attractive. Nothing about it is attractive. When God showed Ezekiel the valley, nothing in the valley was attractive. The only thing that God was concerned about in the valley was not the valley itself, but the people of God. Why didn't God boast about how beautiful the valley was? Because the valley is a picture of the world the way that God sees it and what the world has done to the people of God. But today, God is saying, you can be better than that in 2023. You can be stronger than that. You can be more dedicated than that. You can be more honest than that. You could be a person that the world can look at and say, that's what I need. That's how I want my life to change. I want to invite our praise singers to come out and I want us to sing the song that I've chosen as an intentional song. You may have remember the words of this earlier song, take my hands, take my heart, take my life and let it be, take my lips, take my voice. That's right, that's what the valley is all about. Every part of our lives, God wants to transform. And if you think that creating a new world is a miracle, let's sing this song together. If you think that God just wants to create a new heaven and a new earth, oh, no, no. He wants to create a new you, a new me. And if you let him do it, you'll stand back and say, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all is that God loves me. Let's sing this song as a testament to our desire for 2023. There's the wonder of and evening. What is it? The wondrous sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, the wonder of it all. The
before we sing the last stanza, I really want to seriously challenge you for 2023. Those of you that are watching, what has your life been throughout 2022? Coming out of COVID, coming into a new formed world, coming into a world that's still battling on some fronts with all kinds of illnesses and diseases. Can we allow the world to shut us down? No. No. That is the way the world is. But the world can't come into your house and prevent you from reading the Bible. The world can't say you can't talk to God on your knees in prayer. The world can't say God God can't sustain you in the midst of your challenges. The world can't stop you from saying, Lord, I need your help. This transformation that will bring the wonder of it all to your experience is that you get into it one and just God, you and, you and God alone. Don't wait for any feeling to come in. Don't wait for any emotion to take place. Just you and God alone and the transformation of standing on your feet, knowing that the Lord has done it and performed it will be your experience. Let's read this. Let's sing the last stanza together. There's a wonder of springtime and harvest. The sky, the stars, the sun. That's right. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is a wonder that's only begun. That's the wonder of changing us. Oh, the wonder of it all. The Father, your church is living in Death Valley. The world around us is a place that has designed death to fit into so many categories. It has camouflaged itself, hidden itself in our personal desires. It has cloaked itself, promising things that it never delivers. And every day there are those pursuing this pleasure in Death Valley that leaves them dry and barren and thirsty. And they wonder when December comes, what happened to my life? Why is it that after following the Lord for so long, I just don't feel the way that I do? I don't have this burning desire for studying your word. I just don't feel like there's any sinew or muscle in my Christian experience. It just seems to be there. 
No motion, no activity, nothing to it. It's just there. But Father, we can't blame you. And so as you said to Ezekiel, hear the word of the Lord. Father, may we begin by being willing to hear the word of the Lord in our homes, in our living rooms when we sit down to read it. It could be just us, but we can talk to you together. We can fellowship with you through your word. We can, as husband and wife, come before you in the morning and the evening and study that word together. There's nothing preventing us in this time of great feast where Bibles are abundant, knowing the famine is coming. Oh, Lord, speak to the hearts of your people and say, hear the word of the Lord. And Father, I know this wasn't one of those honky-dory, zippity-doo-dah sermons that cause us to feel giddy, but it's a solemn one that you intend for us to inventory our lives. We're beginning a new year. If we fail to tend it like a precious plant, it'll wither and suffer and die. So Lord, may we begin by hearing your word. And then we stand back and see the wonder of it all, the transforming power that you bring through the living and abiding word then we can go forth and proclaim it and display it and be a witness of it. So may that be our desire as a people, as families, and as a church. May those that are watching and those that join us every week, those that are in their homes, wherever they may be joining us from, may they too desire to have this walk with God where they can experience the transforming power and grace of a God who wants to take us from the valley to the mountaintop. But help us to desire, Lord, change me now in my valley. In Jesus' name I pray. And God's people said, Amen and Amen.